My finger there. <laughs> I know, I missed the finger. Missed the finger. I say, hey, you're on. You're on. Uh, everyone. Yeah. And, uh, this is uh, this is Brent uh, Frain, and I'm from Canadians with Disabilities and Their Allies. I'm the host. And uh, today I have Sherry Caldwell joining me on the show. And uh, Sherry's going to be talking about accessible housing, uh, about the child disability benefit. And uh, Sherry's also going to be talking about um, supports for caregivers. Um, Sherry, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure having you join me on my show. Um, it's always uh, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's it's great uh, having you coming and talking about these important issues uh, that affect uh, Canadians. Uh, definitely, um, you know, and regardless of the age, um, everyone uh, can be born with a disability. Uh, they can develop a disability at any point of time in their life. And as they get older, we, you know, we as society, we, we get more di different disabilities, maybe some of them that are physical or they're invisible disabilities. Um, and they affect child, uh, children, um, all the way up to, well, uh, until the end of time. Um, and so having you coming on talking about these important uh, issues uh, that affect uh, individuals, uh, for sure, it's so important. And so I want to thank you so much for coming on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. There's not enough, I think, talk about this population and um, disability doesn't discriminate. Like you said, it affects every age, every race, social economic factor. Um, it's a welcoming group and uh, they, it seems to be um, quite marginalized population that sadly the government is really, really slow to react. Yeah, and it's the largest, it's the largest um, marginalized uh, population, really, you know, and, and it's been marginalized for, you know, as I said, uh, 30 to 40 years, you know, and that's just like, yeah. well, that, that's, that's fine, you know, <laughs> and it's not fine. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not, it's definitely not fine at all. It's, uh, uh, it's been uh, escalating more and more over decades, over decades, uh, and it's, uh, some people would, I'd say, well, it's a systemic, uh, you know, issue. Um, but is it really, you know, I guess we break down the word systemic. Like, is it really pre, pre, uh, you know, orchestrated, you know, as a system? Uh, I, and I think it's just more that governments have just have ignored it. They, I mean, uh, in time, I mean, over time, over centuries, I mean, uh, people have always had disabilities. Like, you know, I mean, it's never, now, never not been there. It's just over time, it's just uh, evolved into um, how do we modernize going forward, I guess, should we say. It's how do we change the system going or 
the government's perspective on how they see people with disabilities in uh, in Canada and around the world. Like it's uh, how we have to accept people for who they are. And uh, it doesn't matter who they like. I mean, because they have a disability, do they need to be treated differently? No, absolutely not. Like they don't need to be treated differently. They have to be accepted into society. And like a lot of the uh, government officials, like even from MPs, even admit that uh, federal MPs admit that the system, uh, how it's designed or how it was designed decades ago was just not right. And they, they even admit that too. So that, I mean, that's a good thing, right? That they admit that there's a problem, we need to now go forward. But as you said, Sherry, like they're slow at getting around to, to changing things. And, uh, you know, maybe when we have time, um, we will dive in about the uh, the Bill C-22, the Canada Disability Benefit. If we have time on that, I'll get your take on that. But maybe we'll, uh, let's, uh, let's start with the um, accessible housing um, and uh, how important that needs to be for Canadians with disabilities in this country. Yeah, accessible housing is essential for everyone's, for people with disabilities, um, well-being, safety, security, it, it's home. But yeah. it's, um, I've been involved in disability advocacy since my daughter was born. So she's, she's actually 18 mm. and she uses a wheelchair to walk her. So when we, my husband and I bought our home, no one expects, it was before she was born, no one expects to have a child with a disability. You, you know, you, you're going to have kids and at least it, 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 it was kind of an awakening to me when Ashley was born. I had no idea that my child could be born and not able to talk or walk. Um, uh, it was very naive, I guess. I don't know, but I grew up in the 70s and the 80s and there weren't kids with disabilities in my classroom or um, I hope there's more awareness today. My daughter's been, you know, she's just finishing grade 12 and she's been going to school in her home school and in her community. So I hope the children in our community will understand that better than I did when she was born but yeah. so our home she our home is two steps coming in um we have two levels uh so she like oftentimes I have to carry her up the stairs to bed at night um she's small for her age because of her diagnosis um so it's still doable but um, if we did want to move to uh, an accessible home, which we would like to, they just really don't exist. Mm -hmm. um, they're very hard to find. Um, and people, and sometimes, so you could either have a child and not be in a home, or you could um, have an accident. So the very worst time of your life, let's say you're out riding your bike or a car accident, and all of a sudden um, you're injured, you're in the hospital, you can't go to work, and you need, you can't return home to your home. You just can't get in the door. You can't use the shower. Um, it puts a tremendous cost on the government mm -hmm. um, to have to come in with extra, sometimes home care, just to help you shower or do laundry or those kind of things, or um, it's just, it's not, it's not right. We need to be proactive. And so I've been involved um, on the, I sit on the accessible housing network, 
which mm. is a network in started by this lady Kate Chong in Toronto. She is um, in her eighties, and she is a force to be reckoned with. If you have, you should have her as a guest on your show. <laughs> yeah, is, and you'll reach out to her on that one. Yeah, I will connect you. Yes, um, she's not on Twitter, but uh, she does Zoom, and yeah, you will love her. So she. Uh, I've learned much what I know about accessible housing from her because she's very informed. Um, and she's bringing different organizations together to lobby all levels of government for accessible housing. Um, so there's people across Canada um, on our board. And it seems like it doesn't matter what province you're in because I'm in Ontario. Um, mm -hmm. And finding an accessible home or apartment or condo is really, really hard to find. I mean, affordable is one thing, which I think everyone is talking about, but nobody's talking yeah. about accessibility. And yeah. what Kate would tell you, and you should have her on, she can go over this better than I can, that um, it doesn't cost any more money to build an accessible home. Um, some people, some builders don't want to build an accessible home because they think it's for people that are poor or don't have money, but there are people with disabilities that have money and especially the aging population, they don't want to go into long-term care. Um, uh, that it's it's cool and an accessible universally designed condo or home will look good. It's not going to look like some, it's not what people envision. I think in BC, they're much further ahead on um, accessible. I've heard that they might be changing policy there. We Kate brings in lots of really interesting speakers to her meetings and the Rick Hansen Foundation, I think has done a lot of work on, uh, on this area, but in Ontario, it's kind of like past the buck. So yeah. I just started on my city's um, Richmond Hill, where I live in Richmond Hills um, accessible um, committee. And they don't want to talk about accessible housing. They're like, Oh, the municipality is not in charge of, of housing, you know, that's provincial. And then you talk to the provincial government about the, here it would be the Ontario Builders Code. Um, they're, you know, oh, well, like it's, it just feels like it's past the buck. No one wants to Pass take it here and pass there. And yeah, it's not yeah. my house. You can deal with it. And yeah, well, you know, then nothing ever gets done then, right? Yeah. Because all, yeah, it's like the left hand tells the right hand, but the right hand doesn't know what the left hand's doing. and yeah and then well i wanted to back up a little bit to sure to when you uh sherry to what you first said when you like well he said you you grew up in the 70s and and i i did too like i was born in 68 <laughs> so like i was born with cerebral palsy 1968 and um you know uh there's a lot of the um advocacy uh especially in in the 60s and, and early 70s it comes from you know mothers and parents it doesn't it it wasn't driven by government and it's not driven by doctors i mean um when i was born doctors were telling my my mom and, and my mom was a nurse her whole life but doctors were telling my mom to her face oh your your son's gonna grew up to be a nothing but like he's going to be useless don't don't expect anything right and 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 yeah and but that that was the prevailing that was the common prevailing you know i, I don't i don't want to say attitude it was just that was what everybody believed that to be true 
even though it wasn't that it's... that that was an accepted truth even though it was a lie <laughs> right um so you know fast forward and it's still the case today where so much of the advocacy has to come from you and me and Brent and it's not driven by government unfortunately it's not driven by you know um the doctors only look at the medical model part of it they, they don't they're not really plugged into the social model of it and I don't really know what what the government's plugged into but they're not really properly engaged in, in the social or medical model of anything it's just like it just seems to like sort of be like you know Brent and I always joke is like some of the government policy like this is take something and then throw it up against the wall and if it yeah. you know yeah. have a have a pink unicorn of a claw back and throw it up one, against the wall. One, one, and one, and if it sticks, it's like if it sticks, it must be good. You know, yeah. it's like let's throw stuff against the wall. And if it sticks, it must be good policy. And I mean that's not the way to so my point is is that I think even today, like from 1960s to now, it's so much of our pol uh, so much of our advocacy is driven by you know grassroots it's not driven by government it's not driven by doctors it's not driven by anything but you know people like people like you <laughs> you know yeah and and that's uh when 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 i uh you know when i was a little child um same same kind of era around this what neil's describing what you're describing uh sherry it's when i grew up uh you know when i was in, in elementary school uh doctors the same thing would they would tell my mom because she you know as i grew up i got to learn all this stuff and they'd say, well, same thing. Well, you know, Brent's just academically, he's just not going to succeed. Like it's just don't expect any wonders because um, motor skills, um, because of uh, visual impairment, learning disability. Uh, as I grew basically older, I learned a lot more as myself who I am. Yeah. But uh, basically I was, you know, kind of secluded in class. And I always remembered that. Well, why do I have to go to this room? Well, they learned me, <clears throat> they taught me how to touch type because I'd be faster typing than I was writing. Yeah. And so I was able to keep up with the class. But I said, well, I want to be in the class. No, we, we don't want you in the class because we don't want you to be picked on, the teacher would say. Well, that was just their way of, of excluding me from a class because uh, it was it was better that way. And I kept asking questions. I wouldn't leave. Better, for, better for them. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah. not exactly. better for you, but better for them. <laughs> yeah, and so I got upset, and so, you know, as years went on, I learned to start standing up more for myself and realizing that it's okay, Brent. It is okay to say how you feel, uh, and I, when I went through uh, Fast Forward to college, um, you know, I did a lot of um, speaking in class, of, of doing um, videography, um, and the class would grade you on it uh, and grade me on it. Uh, so we all got to take turns and telling uh, your life story of who you are uh, and what what did you accomplish? What do you want to accomplish? And that was really, it was hard because I really had to really analyze myself and then I had to grade myself. Of, well, what did I, did I do okay on that? Or what could I do better on my own video? <laughs> so uh, yeah, and, and of course then fast forward as, uh, as I mentioned before the show started, uh, like, People would say, well, who are you, Brent? Um, so, like, uh, you know, as it went on my advocacy, um, I realized that I had a knack and I just didn't know what that knack. I knew, like, I had a lot to do with advocacy of helping people, of bringing people together, but I didn't, didn't know how to do that. And that's when I approached Neil and 
in 2021, like Neil and I would, we'd stay in contact here and there. Like, yeah, cause we knew another person in another, uh, um, advocacy organization. Yeah. So, Brent, uh, Brent was, Brent was the 375 guy. I is the 375. Brent, Brent was, Brent was known, known, known as the 375 guy, the, the, the shelter, 375 shelter. And I was known as the clawback guy. And yeah, we just and, kind of knew each other that way on yeah. Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, so I kept hammering at the government saying, it's just not okay. You can't rent anywhere for, for 375. And, and I just kept pounding them and pounding them and, and how my advocacy really started, Sherry and, and all the listeners. Uh, and, you know, and when they listened to it through podcast uh, another time, um, it all started back in uh, 2007. Um, I went to our, our BC. I'm in British Columbia. So I went to our BC legislature and I, I was advocating how it started was uh, about uh, minimum wage. And uh, I felt and I was working for a big corporation at the time. And is, is it is it wage that, that is Brent? Is that is that the problem? Is it wage that's not enough? I said, no, it's about respect and, and dignity of of uh, respecting who I am as an employee, right? And it was, I stood up and I had a camera person here and I'm live, like they're recording me live on or in a location yeah. and my employer at the time got so mad. They're saying, no, oh, get that camera off. What are you doing? And so um, I, I realized, okay, like, yeah, you could lose your job out of this. I go, hey, you know what? It is what it is. Like I'm standing up for myself and British Columbians and, and any other province. I said across the country at that time, I said, uh, because other provinces will copy what BC does. It seems to be kind of that way. Um, so I, I got out there very vocal and I went to our legislature. I asked to speak to the uh, the premier at the time. Oh, he was in a meeting. It was just, it wasn't convenient. I said, well, I'm here. I went out of my way. So if I'm here, how come he can't be here? So they, well, you know, and <laughs> so the uh, Federation of Labor, uh, the president, uh, I met with them, uh, quite a feisty guy but awesome he taught me a lot and i am i i you know uh for the goodness of my of my heart um i really thank him um and i know where he is now he's actually uh, the uh, ceo for uh for fraser health now i saw him just recently on the tv i'm like hey i know him i said he taught me well he said stand up for yourself brent just stay how it is don't worry about the cameras don't worry about who's watching listening you say it you know how it is and so from that point on, I, my advocacy was like stand up and push forward. And so when I, I realized that the shelter rate was too low and I thank you, Neil, for bringing that up because yeah, like it, that was kind of intertwined with well, wages is not needing to pay for your, your uh, shelter, but your housing, because that was too low too. And mine was supplemented because of um, uh, the, the income for, but it was, it wasn't enough to pay the shelter. So I kept fighting forward. And um, so this is where I'm at is uh, I came up with the idea of Canadians with disabilities and their allies. And I approached Neil back in 2021 and we, um, we said, yeah, this is wing it. We've never done this before, but uh, hey, why not? So we launched onto Twitter space and uh, as time went on, we evolved over to, um, to this platform, uh, uh, having the guests come on to Zoom and it's always gone on to YouTube. So we broadcast on the YouTube. And it's awesome having guests like yourself, Sherry, join us uh, uh, and talking about the important uh, aspects of uh, what Canadians with disabilities go through in their life and regardless of the age. Uh, and, and I know, and I welcome anyone who's watching this live or listening to this later on or watching this later on, join, like join us, like uh, just, you know, yeah. contact Neil uh, and we'll, we'll get you scheduled in. Yeah. And uh, like, share and subscribe and, uh, you know, share it, share it around because 
that's it's, how it gets it gets seen more and like we've i've said in the last couple of shows it's like uh you know having a bunch of subscribers is nice and we, we we always want more subscribers but it's also who is listening to is important right and we know for a fact that we're getting the attention of you know prominent mlas and ministers and and that's important right because it's the who is listening is is really important and that's what's going to move the move the needle forward and and really push the advocacy forward is getting the people that with the with the power and influence to do something about it right yeah and you know and that's it's all it comes down to just people just talking about what you know what they're going through uh, how it affects their family members and it's so important to get that message out there to the public of saying like uh of, you know people watch the news and say oh well this is what they're hearing well I mean, they're only hearing part of the story only a yeah. little fraction of the story you could have a whole like two hour segment uh, and then the news hour will cut it right down yeah. to like maybe five minutes well is that really telling the whole story no it's not and um, yeah, you, you you said that before we launched, Sherry. Yeah. About, you know that you've done you've done media segments that were yeah, but they're only like two or three minutes. And and I know uh, Jeff Leggett has done a lot of media spots too, and and he's really good at you know they'll say you have thirty seconds, and he's he's been really good at you know giving a thirty second soundbite, but that's it, right? That's all you have. And and well, so parts of the story, yeah, there's more to the yeah. story. And this and is why. These this, conversations are good because it's so, an extended look at everything, right? Right, not just thirty seconds. Yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. just get trim it down after going. Okay, so this was good. This is good. Ah, uh, yeah, we don't want it. Nobody wants to hear that part. Well, they do yeah. want to hear that part, right? Yeah. And so as time went on, Sherry, uh, I learned to realize that this is like who I am, and and I project it out, and then people said, "Wow, yeah, I have that common interest too." Yeah, okay, let's talk about it, and. Uh, and I had to gone through a, an assessment testing of saying, like, who, um, you know, who are you, Brent? Uh, what do you like? What do you want to do in life? What are what are your strengths and strengths and weaknesses? And now that was challenging. I, I must admit, to focus on your weaknesses, and and I had a doctor sitting here going through it, and I got paid to go to it. I got paid to uh, my lunch, dinner, like it was like long sessions, and I was going to college at the time you can imagine. So I'm going to college and I'm learning about myself and I had to bring that information back to the college and talk about what I was going through. And they're saying, well, you could be a talk show host, Brent. You could be anything, <laughs> communications and all this stuff. And I'm going, wow, um, you could work in, you could be working in the hotel industry. And so I thought, yeah, okay. So I went to the hotel industry and my self-esteem for a while, it went from here. I did a career move and that was awesome. I'm like, Hey, I was working in a hotel. I was working at a front desk. I was doing the host position for a while. And I got an opportunity and I had relocated myself. And then uh, I, I got working in a restaurant first until that position became available. I did transition. And so then the hotel said, yeah, I got a full-time job for you. I'm like, wow. Because I, I took my course in it. So I got there and then the hotel um, said, well, unfortunately, due to seniority, they brought a, a full-time person back who wanted to come back have the position back I got doing catering that's not well I mean I took it that's not what I wanted to do and then the hotel closed down they shut down completely um they got bought out so that was it and then I couldn't find anything out in that industry and so I I kind of did some brainstorming and I thought okay I, I was kind of lost within myself for a while trying to figure out well what do I want to do now now it's like you know so I 
I thought, okay, there must be something. And so fast forward and I took, took other courses and uh, to realize that there's other things that I could maybe look at doing. And, and um, now I, I enjoy advocacy uh, and doing all this and just, um, and I'm going to expand it uh, as we're going on with it. Um, I, I have visions of where I want it to go. And uh, I think it's going to be awesome. Uh, really awesome. And having more guests involved and uh, the listeners involved. It so, is it is funny how you kind of just fall into the advocacy though, isn't it? Because I mean, I, I've, been, I've been disabled my whole life and I, I never really thought it was that big of a deal. Like we, I've said before, you know, like I, I worked for 20 years and I, I, I never was on disability until I turned like 41 or so. So I've only been on for maybe 14 years, the last 14 years. Uh, but prior to that, like I've said before, I mean, I always thought that, of course, the government look takes care of people that are disabled, right? Of course, they get they get enough. I mean, I, I just I just assumed, right? Yeah. Um, that, that 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 was the case, and um, you know, it, it wasn't until my first wife passed away that it was like, mm. you know, and they and then they clawed back the survivor's pensions. Like what? Like. I, like yeah. I just uh, I just assumed it was a mistake, like a clerical error. Yeah. And right. you know, and that really awakened like a like a fierceness in me. Like I I have like it just was a profound injustice. It's like you know, and then you know I I was already um, working for the Disability Foundation at the time, and um, so everything just kind of did this you know intersection, and and uh, so I I worked for the Disability uh, Foundation for. Uh, seven seven years or so and like I, I was always very introverted like I, you know like if you put if you take me to a party like I'm kind of the guy that sits stands or sits at the back of the room or whatever and I'll just kind of watch other people have fun like that's that's always been me or I'll pick one yeah. person to talk to but then you know there'll be a whole room full of people I'll pick like maybe one person to talk to that kind of thing so I've always been really introverted and so it wasn't until I got involved with the disability foundation that i was actively having to like meet total strangers people with disabilities meet total strangers and you know talk about their life experience and talk about what they want to do for for a job and things like that so i was like always meeting that's tons and tons of people just for coffee and stuff and uh then it forced me to be more extroverted like but that that's not me naturally right so it's just kind of it's just kind of weird how everything kind of just that, that's how does, i does this right I was Neil yeah. when, when I was a kid. You know, we'd go for a car ride. My my uh, my dad would uh, would take me for a car ride. My mom would be there. My mom never drove, so uh, my dad did. And then when I was young, my dad, my mom, they separated, so my dad went his own way. But I remember him taking us for a car ride. And I'd be in the back seat, and I'm like, "Is is Brent awake?" I remember hearing this, and I'd be like so quiet that I could hear a pin drop. No, and I'd be like so shy because I like, and, and that's how I was. Like I was like, I didn't know like it was okay to speak up to. It was okay to say something because mm -hmm. you know, and it was I was always kind of shut down. And when I was in school, <clears throat> and like like saying like, uh, what what you need to say, Brent, is it's not important. And mm -hmm. I had a teacher who used to say that to me when I was really young. Like wait, wait to wait till you are asked to speak, Brent. And I thought, oh. And then one of my teachers further up in, in elementary, I guess, heard about that. It must have been some kind of, you know, like, mm. and someone said, no, she said, no, no, that wasn't okay, Brent. Like, ignore, ignore what that teacher said. Like, yeah. 
Oh, so it is okay to, so yeah, put your hand up. Well, no, you need to go to the washroom. Oh, okay. No, just go. Just don't, don't put your hand up. And that's kind of like uh, with PWD now going forward. It's like, I kind of relate that to saying, well, can you leave the province for 30 days? No, just go. You know, it's like, a, but it's yeah. a policy, right? So I guess with, with that, I, I want to dive into Sherry uh, about the child disability benefit. Um, how do you vision that like for children? Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, you, your stories really resonated with me. Um, but for children with disabilities today, um, caregivers and children are really struggling financially. Disability is very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so um, in Ontario, and I, I don't know, maybe it's better in see a little bit or other exactly where other provinces stand. I think that children with physical disabilities or developmental disabilities like Down syndrome um, or, or many other rare diseases. My daughter has a very rare. We don't have access to therapies, to funding. Um, in Ontario, we have to pay, parents have to pay 25% of the costs of walkers and wheelchairs, mm. um, ramps. Um, so, and like my, my daughter was born very medically fragile. Um, and we spent probably a year in sick kids and then she came home. Um, uh, we have, my husband has a good job, so we have privilege and we were able to, um, purchase the therapy that she needed, which has helped her greatly. But, um, in Ontario, uh, children with physical disabilities get consultation. So they basically talk to the teachers at school about what your child needs and that, that there isn't support. So that's not going to give you help to, for what your child might need for speech or physio. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Ontario, what happened was the mm -hmm. Ontario Autism Coalition, they became very loud. And mm -hmm. so now in Ontario, your child has autism, there's a program called the um, the Ontario Autism Program, and they fund therapy that these children needed, but children with other disabilities don't get that funding. So um, kids, and some kids that did some advocacy with me, one young man, Dante, he um, he wanted, act, he, had, he was born with CP, and uh, he hasn't had physio, his whole life. I think he, they, they give it here. You have to really, if you're in a crisis. So that's when my advocacy began was around, um, when they launched the OAP, the Ontario Autism Program, a bunch of parents were like, what? Um, like, okay, what, why that distinction and just fund one high instance disabilities. We thought the government could be inclusive and would support, um, all families um all children but there this that was six years ago that got us started but as i created the group um and we called it's on facebook it's it's called ontario disability coalition i founded it with some other moms us moms have uh you know we're mama bears so we we have mm. concerns um it we started hearing from many ontarians that were on disability adults with um, living on ODSP and our kind of focus changed from therapy at the beginning to um, 
uh, home care, school supports, and then po and disability poverty. And if you look at the child, sorry, your question was the child disability benefit. Um, that's just a little bit of a background. But the child disability benefit was in Justin Trudeau's mandate letter to Minister Carla Quattro in 2019 that they needed to wow. split. And that didn't happen that year. And then COVID came. And then um, so there are in Ontario, and I'm sure across, can across Canada, some single mothers in Ontario with the children that can have really severe disabilities, some of them like ICU level care in the home that mm -hmm. live on what we call Ontario Works, which is like $700 a month and mm -hmm. have to pay for um, different supplies. Many things are not covered under the Ontario. They haven't like really evaluated the ADP is like the assistive device program in Ontario, mm. which is like um, syringes or different um, different pieces of medical equipment that you might need. And those are costly. Different things, yeah. There's a lot of costs to that. And um, the government just kind of turns a blind eye to these these stories. So what I do, similar to you, is um, these families come together, they share their stories, rewrite policy briefs, and we meet with the minister and we try to get them to, with the different ministries and share, we keep just sharing the stories and sharing the stories mm. and um, writing policy briefs and writing budget submissions. And so we were doing that for about five, five years when, the last year we started focusing on the federal government because we're like, okay, we can talk to a blue in the face till our provincial government. Yeah. You know, um, they did they did do some things to help us. They did invest in early intervention, which was a bit of a win. A lot of people were advocating for it because even kids born, um, you would get, you'd be born with maybe cerebral palsy or some other clearly needed like physiotherapy at birth and you just be put on a wait list could last like two years. Like there's no, there's, there's no early intervention services. Like it exists, but it's not staffed. So that. Yeah. And I just wanted to, again, kind of rewind back to what you said earlier. Again, I just, I'm really listening and picking up on what you're saying. Yeah. But I just wanted to re rewind a bit, uh, Sherry, because, um, not many people are going to recognize the name I'm going to say, but there, uh, there was a woman. Her name was Charlotte Witten, and I believe uh, she was uh, born or existed around maybe 1890 in Canada. She, I, th I think she was. Now I'm going to have to look this up, but I, I think if my memory's correct, uh, she was like the one of the first female. Um, I think she was the um, a mayor for Ottawa back in 1890, and. She, and she was also she was also considered uh, like the one of the earliest early feminists of of Canada, right? And and the reason I, I mentioned her is that uh, I think back when I was like fourteen for my birthday uh, from my aunt I got a, a calendar of uh, quotes, uh, famous quotes uh, from politicians and things, and it was called the um, it was called the curmudgeon calendar. You know, and and when when I think of curmudgeon, I always think of Stoligosters, you know, with Ellen. But you know, the yeah. curmud curmudgeon calendar, and and one of the quotes in the calendar, it was just one of these uh, desk calendars, and it was three hundred sixty-five of these quotes. 
But one of the quotes oh, in there, and I remember you. it really stuck with me. And it was, I, like I said, I was only 14 at the time, but it really stuck with me. One of the quotes in there was from Charlotte Witten. And it, and like I said, it's a feminist quote. And, and she said, whatever a woman does, she must do twice as, uh, twice as, uh, twice as uh, good as a man to be considered half as good or twi twice. She must try twice as hard to be considered half as good as as a man, kind of. I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing it, but but it's kind, yeah. of, kind of kind of like that, right? And so oh. that's a kind of a feminist quote, right? But when I when I read it, I remember thinking to myself, like that's kind of a that's kind of a disability lens too, because yeah. growing up, like I always felt that I had to tr try twice as hard to prove who uh, to yeah. prove myself, right? So yeah. you, you're always have that the deck kind of stacked up against you, like. I have to really like force myself, improve myself to be you considered have, like half as good as anybody else. And, you never have to yourself. and that's, that's a quote, like I said, that's stuck in my, I'm like, you know, 55 years old now. So it's stuck with me for over 40 years now. Oh, you know? for sure. And, I mean, um, you know, themselves. yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think back on, uh, on, you know, kind of like those quotes. And I think back of over time of different ministers or MPs over time. And it seems like even, within this last decade or maybe a decade and a half is that that same theme I, and I'm sure we, we all hear it is there's more to do there's more to do it doesn't matter what level of government is provincial or federal there's more to do I there's hear another you. pink there's another pink unicorn that can slam yeah, against the wall you know, I hear you are are dignified dignified more to do yeah. it's like yeah geez you know <laughs> oh wow well, they, they, I mean, they say the words, right? Because they say things like stigma is bad or, you know, stigma this, stigma that, but then they don't really equate it to disability. When, when they talk about stigma, they're talking about the safe drug supply and then that, that's it. And they don't really, you know, the, the, the disability quotient gets pushed to the side, ignored. It's like, well, we're not talking about stigma for disability. It's just stigma for safe drug, drug supply. That's it. You know, or some of these uh, some of these computer systems that are so old on how they're designed. And I had a meeting just uh, recently, uh, Sherry, uh, with 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 a minister for uh, for, for uh, minister for disability uh, and poverty reduction in BC. Um, and the takeaway from it is, well, like why do you have to wait so long? Because there's a rate increase coming. Well, the computer system is so old apparently, and it was last updated in in two thousand and two. So 21 years, but it, but they said, don't worry, there's a new system coming in two more years. But that's the reason why there's it's so uh, lengthy time of getting things going. I I don't buy it. I, I really don't buy that because um, they you know they can get funds out really quickly for other things for other measures. Yeah, they yeah. proved it during like CERB, right? The federal yeah. government right on that if it applies to everyone like i feel the policies that i do see the federal government even our provincial government here in ontario roll out if mm -hmm. it applies to like all children like during covid they kept having supports for children at home or like daycare for instance so now there's national daycare program but we know children like my daughter when she was um daycare she was on oxygen and there was no way that she could go. And there's many kids that are have be, like significant behavior issues or physical that can't necessarily be accommodated in daycare. Right. Uh, we want them to be in those that can. But then these families, the reason they're supporting daycare is so that they know 
both mom and dad need to work today for to afford rent, food, and income and support a family. Yeah. So we, um, my organization is really screaming loudly that like what I call myself is like a lifetime caregiver. Like when my daughter was born, um, and she, for her whole um, age, she's not going to be able to move out because she's got um, significant needs. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be caring for her and she'll be home and I'm happy to, to, to do that. And, and however, I have to give up my job, yeah. pension, mm-hmm. retirement, and some single mothers are doing this. Um, and it puts women, I think this is a, a woman's issue too, into poverty and into, re- into retirement and poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and no one's, I think they talk about caregiving as a, um, more of a temporary thing. So it might happen to someone when their mother gets older and they have to look after them for four or five years or until they can get them into long-term care, but they don't, they're not thinking about the impact on the, if they're putting the mother and the father in poverty or just a mom, then the child's also living in poverty. So when they rolled out the child, the Canada disability benefit, Mm -hmm. um, and they're forgetting about, that you know you're you could be born with a disability of children and they know who they are um oh, of course it's they pretend that they don't they, how, how many are in the system well, yeah. well we have to figure that out it's like are you kidding me <laughs> yeah yeah they even know who the mothers on ontario works are in ontario i know they know that um that have children with disabilities but they're like oh you know it's fine we'll keep them at 700 dollars a month i feel like yeah it's it is shameful because i don't think the general population knows or thinks about it about these families and it impacts on the kids if the kids aren't getting what they need if you don't have the fun if you can't come up with your 25 percent for like something like af my daughter wears afos you know, these foot orthotics and children grow, right? So you replace them every year and they're like about $4,000 annually. And so we have to come up with with 25% of them. Um, uh, I'm like, I'm privileged. I'm lucky my husband has a a job with benefits, but that is rare today in this age. but they're expecting that of all families. So what happens if you can't come up with the money for that? In Ontario, if your income, family income is around $70,000, there's a program that you can maybe get on that will cover that. But if you're, once you're over 70, they're like, oh, you're good. You know, you're making wow. 7,000. You can pick up 25% of the wheelchair, the walker, the, um, and still house yourself, um, a one bedroom apartment in Toronto is like $2,500 now, you know, like it's just. That's like here in Victoria, same thing. Yeah. So I feel for really young families that are really, and it's not even just young families, but struggling. Yeah. And struggling. And that, that happened to me too. Like, again, I can share, um, you know, like uh, when my first wife passed away for the first year or so, I kind of just um, kept up with my my job with the Disability Foundation for about a year. Maybe not quite a year, but almost a year. And then I, because, you know, I was a single dad at the time. I 
uh, you know, and and had a young son, and it's it's a I'm a, so I had a disability, have a young son, and I'm a single dad, and so you just feel like you have to be the Superman, right? Do do everything, and hold down a job, and I I just realized I had, I just kind of started to crack and realize I could I can't do it all. I'm not Superman, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So so I actually took a leave. I said I you know I have to take a leave for about a, about a year, and um, and this is back when I. I I didn't realize that uh, that they were gonna claw back everything from me. Like uh, mm -hmm. you know, I I it was still like I I just thought um, you know the the uh, government's gonna gonna do the right thing and not claw things back. But but anyway, so I took I took the year off, and uh, they clawed back over seven hundred dollars of the uh, survivor's pension. So what I was left with with me and my son. I was left with less than four hundred. It was under four hundred dollars of provincial support um, for me and my son. Four hundred dollars of for a year. So this is four hundred dollars a month for a year. I was doing this plus a uh, seven hundred dollar uh, pension. So I had eleven hundred dollars of support. Only four hundred dollars of that was from the government. And so they basically say, you know, screw you, as a, as a single dad and a, and a widower. You can get by on eleven hundred dollars with you and your son, right? You know, it's like we'll invalidate your pension. That doesn't matter. You don't need you don't need a targeted wraparound support of a of a pension, right? We'll we'll just throw a pink unicorn at you and we'll invalidate the whole thing. You know, and it just it really bothered me. It's like I thought that I could step away and kind of recharge my batteries for a year, but instead I was like so stressed because I couldn't afford it. So I put myself in total debt for a whole year, and it was very stressful, right? But I, I was trying to do, you know, I was trying to heal myself because for that first year, I was basically putting myself on autopilot and just being a parent and being a parent, being a parent. And I realized, you know, I got to take a little bit of time away and, and recenter myself. And I got punished for it. You know, the government kind of says, screw you. You you deserve 400, 400 bucks a month and you can live off wow. 400 bucks a month for you and your son. And I'm like, what? You know, and so that's what, you know, yeah. that's why I'm so passionate and anger because yeah. you know for a whole year I was expected to live off less than four hundred dollars a month for me and my son from the government. They're like, congratulations, you know, here's four hundred bucks. I know friends. <laughs> you know, that, it's just crazy. Yeah. That similarly, um, like a mother with a very complex ch um, child, and she passed away in her mid thirties. So this mother has been looking after this child her whole life. Mm -hmm. uh, and her child, once your child dies, then everything is cut off too. Cause like even their, their ODSP or something that she would have to use to make their living workable, right? Yeah. And then she literally like these, these mothers are gonna retire in poverty. And she had, she had a home that she had to sell. Um, you know, it's devastating at this time when to me, the way they're treating, they're really leaning on families to a breaking point. So, you know, in Ontario, on ODSP, if you're, um, if you end up homeless, they take away the housing shelter because then yeah. you don't. Need yeah. it. Like, I don't know if they do that in other provinces. They do, they do that here too. They do that it's here. Like yeah. that's just like kicking someone when they're down. Instead of, uh, I really. I'm hopeful that this Canada Disability Benefit 
um, because there's still a lot of planning to it. So I'm hoping to get more parents and caregivers advocating so that the children and the caregivers can be thought of more. But um, even for the adults like yourselves that are going to get the benefit that it's going to actually be significant enough to ensure people can afford housing and food, like just the very basics. I just hope I just hope it's not like uh, you know Carla Falto doesn't think well here's two hundred bucks and that's going to be life changing you know like two hundred bucks will be nice but it's not going to be it's not going to yeah. be a life changing you know that's not that's not a life changing amount so I, I hope well, it's more what, I hope it's more than that yeah what, what I'm concerned on is uh, on which formula that they're going to, how they're going to gauge that uh, can the disability benefit um, you know is. Uh, is they going to go with what year? Like what what fiscal year are they going with the table on how they calculate that? Uh, now, one of the meetings that I was in just recently uh, with one of our advocates that's actually going to be on tomorrow's show, um, Jeff uh, Jeff Leggett. Uh, he was. Uh, we were in a meeting and uh, we we learned that uh, part of the formula they're using is the market basket measure not the LICO formula. LICO formula pushes it at uh, no less than 22, 2202 um, a month uh, based on twenty the year 2021 uh, table formula based on the federal government that they said is, is the bare bone. That's not even with person with a disability. That's just the bare bone amount needed. Uh, it's like when CERB was out, right? $2,000, that was in 2020. So the, you know, the 2021 formula is 2202. So now we're in 2023. So the, yeah. that, you know, I mean, they haven't even come out with the formula. I mean, they're already two years behind. They haven't even come out with that this year's rate. Uh, we learned that they're going, that the federal government's going to be going with the market basket measure, not the LICO formula. Uh, so I'm a little concerned um, of what the dollar figure is going to be at uh, for that can disability benefit. The uh, minister, uh, Minister Quantro, was asked uh, several times, over and over, by even senators, how much? How much? It, it was like, okay, well, don't know. Like, it's like, uh, oh, I'm talking to my counterparts. Well, how long does it take to talk to your counterpart, the premiers? And maybe, maybe they have, and they're just staying silent. They don't want to say nothing. Maybe mom's the word. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, but. Maybe, yeah. maybe it'll, maybe it'll be kind of like a gender reveal party where they'll just have a big balloon and it'll be like, if it's red dye, you know, it's this amount. And if it's blue dye, you know, it's this amount or something like that. Well, you, Surprise. Yeah. Well, you know, Sherry, I always, I always use my, uh, uh, you know, of course, uh, some of my segments I talk about is the pot of spaghetti. Okay. So I'm just boiling the water, right? I boil the water because that's yeah. all you told me to do. I, it's like building up the bill. You told me to boil the water. Brent. You got to put the noodles in. Oh, really? I, I didn't know I got to do that. And then after that, then you got to put the sauce in. Oh, well, where do I get that? Figure it out. You've had years <laughs> to figure it out. But you just Thanks. told me to boil it. Now the pot's now the, the water is evaporated away. The pot's now burnt on the bottom. Yeah. Because, and well, they put some real rules around it, right? Like they've cut out seniors. They're saying it's yeah. just for adults. Um, yeah. Like we met, I met with Carla Quattro last year and we presented our budget submission that is on the Ontario Disability Coalition's blog, a federal one. And we pointed out to her that they, no one in Ottawa is thinking about children with disabilities. 
and yep. that we pointed out to her that you know we knew it was in her mandate letter in 2019 and that she could she could right now act to raise it we asked her to triple the child disability benefit and this is an income tested benefit so families that have the means they're not going to receive it. My husband and I, we don't receive it, but the families that need it are going right. to get it. Um, and that they badly need it today. So um, we also mentioned to her that, um, I don't know if you know, but last year they rolled out this um, home, um, home and vehicle, like home accessibility grant. Yeah. I think called uh, multi-generational home renovation tax credit so it's a tax yeah. credit yeah, um, yeah yeah not it's not great for people that don't have money but even if you have money or if you have a child they specifically said you had to be 18 and above for seniors and adults and we're like minister culture you know we can't wait until our child is 18 to make our home accessible so for like sure. That we we didn't we don't want a, a tax credit. We we asked them in our policy brief to create a grant for home and vehicle accessibility, uh, which would be better. But if they are going to even build something, why are they specifically leaving? Why are they specifically leaving children with disabilities out? Who do they think is supporting these children? Because I know I can tell you in Ontario, the Ontario government is not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and that's why it should be all the way from from when they're when they're just an infant all the way. Like it doesn't there should be no age category. It's like I'm glad you mentioned Sherry, um, like well, seniors too, right? Yeah. Because like this Canada Disability Benefit is only going to go up to 64. And now there, you know, there's uh, there's um, some other advocates out there and uh, and people with disabilities that are seniors. And all of a sudden, uh, there was one person in Alberta, just for instance, he turns 65. Oh. He still has his disability. It didn't go away, but now he has to live um, just on uh, just a um, the pension, um, seniors' pension. But his disability hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. No, no. When you turn sixty five, no. When you turn sixty five, you're magically healed of all your disability. Your friends. You're you're mad. It's his magic <laughs> pink unicorn. No, you're healed. But you don't have a disability anymore. You don't anymore. have a disability. It's gone. It's like it reminds me of an eye doctor I went to. Oh, you know, I, I'm not even going to get into this. It's a long story, but I'll summarize it. I went one time, and I I, um, I have a hereditary condition, right? And it's it's not curable. There's no there's no cure for my eye condition. Um, it uh, my eye condition is what it is, but it also leaves it with astigmatism. So I got a um, I, I, I feel because when I was young, I was usually very cautious. I'd be like looking at somebody, and I'd be kind of like looking away because I didn't want looking, oh, your eyes are moving nearly, you know, I'd be teased, right? And as, as I became through youth and adult, I'm like, hey, oh, well, I'm, you know, that's just who I am, right? But when I was a little kid, I used to be really cautious on it. Um, and I came to realize, hey, you know, people look around, other people have disabilities. And yeah, and I just take people for who they are. So anyway, long story short, I went to go into an eye doctor. Oh, we could do a laser eye surgery on you. We can give you 20-20 vision, Brent. Imagine. Really? Yeah. So yeah, did uh, so what did you want to do? Did you want to schedule an appointment? I talked to my GP. What kind of eye doctor are you seeing here, Brent? You can't, there's no cure. That's not going to cure your, your condition. I'm like, well, that's what she said. Well, I think it's time to look for a new eye doctor. I thought, wow, you know, and they wanted to put eye drops in and I was like, oh, and that made me feel really sick. Like I was just like really out of it because they were doing some just testing, just general. And uh, my, it was just, it just, 
Yeah, you know, live and learn, right? You live and learn and you say, well, um, obviously they don't get it. It was just like medicine. Yeah, yeah, that's what they like, but they don't know about the physical part of um, how it affects a person over time, right? Um, someone's are more trained than other doctors are with it, but this was a general, just a general eye doctor, didn't know about conditions. And Well, that's so what I, kind of goes point. back to what I said earlier about, yeah. you know, the fact that, you know the 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 doctors are more focused on the medical part of it, and 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 you know the, the governments are more focused on, you know, some weird <laughs> mix of a social model or medical model or something. I don't I don't know what, and uh, but really it, it's it's the people that are the advocates that are on the ground, boots on the ground. Yeah, that, that are you know we are the knowledgeable ones. It's well, it's it's not the government. It's not the doctors. I mean, the doctors are have the medical knowledge, but they don't have the lived experience. I mean, the governments need to realize lived experience rules all, and that's why they have to listen oh, to us, right? Because oh, totally, we know totally. we are we are the experts that way. Yeah, totally. Because I I can give uh, I can give everyone an, an example like. I, I went to, this is going back decades, I mean, how time goes by, right? But it always sticks in my mind, and I'm so grateful to this one um, eye physician that I actually end up bumping into every so often. You know, it doesn't seem to, like, every so many years I go over and, oh, oh, he, oh he's opened up a new clinic now. Now, look, oh, the clinic is shut down now. Then he relocates, and he actually went back to university, um, Sherry. He was actually, um, I had gone to make an appointment one year, and and because uh, I was living in a different community at the time and uh, I needed an eye doctor. So I went, oh, his shop used to be there. Oh, it's not there anymore. So I went and there was another, another eye doctor and they said, oh, no, he uh, yeah, he actually's not in practice right now. Uh, eventually he will. Oh, well, no. Where did he go? Oh, he went back to Ontario. Ontario. Yeah, he went to the University of uh, Waterloo. Uh, and uh, so he studied as a uh, as a professor uh in uh in political science um and his expertise like he wanted to learn more about um also about uh, conditions eye conditions uh and he studied he studies and he still studies my eye condition and i, I was so amazed with him because like he knew like he would yeah i would i go into him and i um i was so emotional because in my first time in my life it's like imagine not wearing glasses just temporarily and i I had tears running down my face and I was just like, he goes, it's okay, Brent, it's okay. And he had trouble putting, he had trouble putting eye um, contact lenses in my, in my eyes because my eyes, when I was born, I was born premature. So uh, yeah, preemie. <laughs> um, so me too, Brent. So, so my yeah. eyes, my eyes, it's like the uh, doctor would describe it. It's like getting, trying to get a pizza and uh, trying to put through a small drive through window. It's not going to work. Right. But he managed to dilate my eyes so so much that it would slow down the stigmatism, and and I was getting really antsy because it was like he kept filling with my eye, this and that. And I felt like I was just like, oh man, I was like feeling nauseated. He says, okay. He says, hang on. So he gets this little, you know, bucket over the side. If you have to, then do what you need to do. I go, no, I, I'm fine, doc. And he goes, okay. So just relax. So I remember laying, they kind of sit back in his. It's like a dentist chair, like sit way back. And he goes, okay. I'm like, huh? Whoa, what's that? And he goes, now just kind of open your eye, look, look around. Oh my God. He goes, I'll read, read the, uh, it's like read the teleprompter. 
Yeah. Like they do. So I'm looking at this. I'm going, oh, okay. What do you want me to see? He goes, read the bottom. Can you read the bottom for me? I go, the bottom? No, I, there's no way. And of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, no, like I can't read that. I mean, most people can't. I looked at it. I could read every single letter all the way down to the very bottom of the smallest. And what it was, it was an experiment for him to see on the progression of how is it for his studies, how would it cure? And so I told him that, yeah, like I, I had 20-20 vision temporarily. Amazing. I was like, oh, my God, can I can I keep wearing them? He goes, unfortunately, reality is no. Um, you can actually, I'll, I'll let you wear them for like five hours, four or five hours. Go out and come back, go and have lunch. And he says, you know what? He gets his wallet out and he goes, you know what? Here's $30. Go and have a good lunch. What? $30? I go, wow. He goes, whatever is left over, keep it. Uh, doc, no, it's okay. No, no, no. I want you to enjoy this, this moment of time and come back. And then you have to come back and you have to return the contacts as I, you know. I come back and then reality kicked in, but unfortunately I was not able to keep the contacts in because uh, for me trying to put them in myself, it just wouldn't work. So um, yeah. So I, you know, I had an experiment uh, experience just recently over months uh, dealing with uh, optical stuff. And that was a, that was a hell of time. Neil knows of the segments on that one. Yeah. yeah but there's the uh, whole saga if space, you go back to the space yeah. savers space savers but yeah. i yeah. got a new pair uh new look um uh, new look um eyewear and uh these are great um and the eye doctor listened like really carefully to me he says you're right your vision is your vision we can't mimic it and try to manipulate to make it seem something different than what it is um and so they make them really thin uh and i use a multi-purpose reading I've learned that, and I've been doing that since a kid. If it's something like a font, if it's if it's too tiny, like like that, right? Yeah. I just I just pulled it a little bit closer, like like an email, like something like that. I mm -hmm. I can't. You, some of those you can't blow it on the screen. Yeah. You can't. And so I find it frustrating. So when I realize that, Sherry, I then read as much as I can, and then I say, okay, eye fatigue. I'll put it down, and then move on. But some play things I can blow it up, or I put it onto a screen reader. And that's another thing, right? That's another cost. Yep. Um, yep. I bought myself an iPad uh, and I did it for my for my podcast because why? It was the best investment that I had made for myself. And um, yeah, and I so much enjoy it because it's the, the screen is nice and big and it's great for me. And I can sit back and, and I can read things from a distance there. And, and have your coffee. It's, is that I why can... you guys are on Twitter too? Because it's more accessible. Yeah. Like yeah. I started my group on Facebook because that's where I was at the time. And, yeah. but yeah, I don't know that. And actually my, our website, um, we need, like we're completely grassroots, just volunteers for six years. And we're now actually trying, I'm trying to seek out some, some funding, which is really hard to find grants that are that's political advocacy is like, no, no, we're children. I found grants for advocacy if it was if you were racialized or indigenous or child welfare but disability is that other you know cousin third lost cousin so yeah. yeah like I even worry our website needs to be more accessible but yeah we like we need funding for all of that and I, I joked a couple of podcasts ago that the PWD community is like the band of misfit toys you know? oh yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, you remind, yeah. remind me of uh, uh, it, uh, Rudolph, you know? And yeah, the Rudolph, the, the band of Mr. Toys. Toys yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. it's true, though. It's um, We've all come together. We all come together about advocacy and, and, and trying to make the uh, things better for, for people across the country. And uh, and it, it can be done. It can. And I know I know it will get done. I do. I have that um, optimistic and uh, optimism in me is that the, uh, you can do like, and I learned this from a, a professor in college, Brent, you have the can do attitude and what, what you want to achieve, you will achieve because you are moving forward and forward, forward is the positive direction. And sure, you can, you can look back in time and say, what it could have, should have, but didn't do, but you know what you can do because you're moving forward you can create positive change. Um, and it may take time to make that change but you need to network with people and bring them together. And I, I always remember, and I, and I thank my, my instructor, my, you know, on that because uh, she, she taught me a lot. And um, I was, she says, you're one of my favorite students. And I'm sorry that the course is now ended. I go, can I do this again? She goes, well, it's going to cost you. I'm like, well, I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> you know, in, but, in the wisdom of Yoda, in the wisdom of Yoda, do yeah. or do not, there is no try. Can I do <laughs> Some some ideas. So you probably know David Leposky. He's um he's a lawyer in in Toronto, very famous advocate, and he does a lot of advocacy in um, Ottawa on uh, yeah. the Canada Disability Benefit. He's a friend of mine, and um him I, and also David, never met him in person, but I I've heard so many amazing things about David. He's, uh, he's, he's awesome. He's a force. So what I see him do, and what I think you guys should take up doing on your show, and also from Kate is whenever he gives a speech or a talk, he gives everybody listening and watching a way to become politically involved. So like it to do, he says to take out their phone and tweet and like give his hashtag. And I think you guys should take that up because, and I'd like to kind of encourage anyone listening here that has a child with a disability or is a caregiver to take a moment. And if you're on Twitter to tweet Carla Quattro and remind her about the child disability benefit, like don't forget about it, that these families are suffering. Um, or if Twitter's not your thing to, you know, to send a quick email, it doesn't have to be long and complicated. It's mm -hmm. just be, uh, you know, this is how you reach Minister Carla Quattro or write to your, what is it, your MLA or your in Ontario, we have MPPs. Um, yeah you know, and remind them that your children and, and the caregivers exist. And I would encourage you guys to kind of write that into your, your show as you're out there. Get it. I, I saw Kate, Kate talks about it a lot too. And David does it. And I think it's, it's powerful because it could just have a little ripple effect. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one thing that, um, you know, get Neil to make a little note of that. And that's one thing that I, I do mention on my show too, is I encourage people to reach out to their, their MLAs, their their uh, MPPs, if, if, you know, and they say it was Ontario or your MPs, um, your even your mayor, like even at, at city level, like like put a little noise saying yeah. about accessibility of to your mayors and saying, hey, like uh, accessibility wise, like what are you doing to to make things better with the developers who are now developing these homes to uh, uh, for for people with disabilities, and if they. If they say, oh, you know, like we, what we said earlier, oh, it, you know, you need to talk to your provincial government. Go, okay, you so know what? What are you going to do? You say, what are you going to do for me? Like, are you listening to me? What are you going to do? Or who do I contact? So then if that person now passes the buck, you know where to go back to. You say, well, 
yeah, this, and they say better yet to say, well, rather than doing this, why don't we get them all in the room at the same time and we'll collaborate and uh, have, a, have a discussion and a solution. And, and one thing I've learned too is uh, people, everyone watching is set a goal and then set a target, a target to reach that goal, the steps to get to that goal. And once you receive, get to that goal, you can say, okay, this is what I've accomplished, but is there still more to go? Yes. So you hit a target date. It's like the uh, MLAs, they have mandates. MPs have mandates, MPPs, same thing. They have mandate letters. Do they, do they meet all those targets within there? If they don't, why? Why haven't they? So it's kind of like in the same thing is that we can, we can set our target and say, this is what we want to achieve. And I think we, we can, we can do these things. If we all kind of intertwine with each other and um, create a movement across the country. This is, starting, this is starting to feel like a TED talk, Brent. Yeah, people don't yeah. realize how powerful <laughs> their stories are though. And you're giving people an audience to share their stories and yeah. there is um, power in that. Um, and, oh. and sending those emails and sending your stories, the more that mm -hmm. we get people to be a little bit political, uh, politically active. And like when you write to your like, or tweet, um, Minister Kalakwatra, copy your favorite reporter at CBC or, you know, and when people yeah. are brave enough to open up and share, I think, I think there is value in, and change does happen. I know it happens in the autism community and we see other things go through that, it could happen for the rest, the whole disability community as a whole. It's a ripple yeah. effect, and it does. It's a whole ripple effect across different ministries of different um, children and family development or uh, the autism autism uh, community, right? Um, and yeah, like accessibility, accessible housing, like it's all different um, aspects, and it, it will be a ripple effect across. And I, we can create that movement of change. Yeah. I, I mean. I, yeah, go ahead. Neil. Sorry, Brent. I, um, you know, it was uh, Sherry that first um, said the word ripple, and now you're saying it too. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm the domino effect. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm an English lit major from university. Uh, that was my, that was my major, and so I'm, I'm big on metaphors. And when I think of uh, ripple, I, I think of like, along so well, th now. throwing a stone. I, th you know, throwing a stone in a in a pond, and you know, you throw a stone in the pond and you have that rippling out, right? So like, yeah. I'm a, I'm a stone, I'm throwing it in and you're a stone, you're throwing it in and Sherry's a stone and she's throwing it in. And all of a sudden we got three stones and we're creating this huge ripple with the three of us here together. And if everybody did that, you'd have like a tidal wave at, at some point, right? Um, you know, and that's, that's the idea. That's what you want. I, I was so, always wondering, you know, when I, I, would, I would go to the beach and I would throw a little rock and I'd, I'd try to, you know, the key thing to get a ripple is you look for the thinnest, thinnest rock on, on a beach. <laughs> and that's the, that, that no, it's, it's true though. It's like the thinnest little rock and because it'll actually cause more of a ripple. So mm -hmm. you throw it or toss it actually, toss it. And it actually goes like a little bloop couple of circles and you see that and i was always thinking well if i do that a few more times how many more ripples can i make mm -hmm. and it's it's true i'm glad you mentioned neil because it's it's true is that ripple effect going forward and how many more uh, ripples can you cause going across mm -hmm. yeah. anyway we are at the top of the hour so i didn't know if we want to do uh, closing Thank comments you. or yeah, or did you want to be on for a few more minutes, uh, Sherry? Or uh, we'll have you come back. Uh, it's all it's all up to you. You're the 
You're the, you're the guest. You get to decide. I yeah. know my daughter's <laughs> bus is going to arrive soon, so I probably okay. should okay. wrap it up. But I okay. certainly appreciate this time. I don't think enough people are talking about caregivers or children. And so, yeah, I my last words would just be, remember, disability, poverty begins at birth, literally when the children are born. And we need to keep kind of repeating that so the federal government can hear it. <laughs> We mm-hmm. we need to we need to eradicate eradicate uh, poverty in Canada. It doesn't yes. need to. Be, there's no there's no room for poverty. It's legislative poverty, or however the government officials like to announce it as. Disrespect uh, the parents with with children with disabilities. Respect in each citizen with a disability. I nobody needs to be treated differently. We're all we're all here. We're all. We're all citizens. We're all Canadians. We're, it doesn't matter which country it is. I mean, anyone watching this around the world, like, you know, just talk to your officials and, and do the same movement that we're doing. Like, create change, positive change, and we can make things so much better for everybody and, and all of our fellow citizens. Uh, I know we can do this. Um, so, Sherry, I, I want to thank you so much um, for taking your time today and coming on and talking about these very, very important pressing issues that affect children from birth all the way to well into their senior uh, into their you know senior lovely uh lives uh, going forward um because age i mean a certain age doesn't uh, stop the disability right there shouldn't be a roadblock so miss Quantrill, well, poverty does though poverty well, stops. Poverty. But Ms. Quantrill, if you're yeah. watching this miss Quantrill, i need you to change that Right. I need you to please listen to the other advocates, not just myself. Right. I'm not speaking on behalf of everybody because everyone talks about their own lived experience. Right. So please start it from birth. Right. Not 18 to 64. Right. Start it from birth all the way through. There's no age limit to say this pension that you're coming out with is going to go to every person with a disability. Okay. There. That's not that's not difficult. It's really And it better be more than 200 bucks. Yeah. $200 is not going to, yeah. you know, maybe MAA can maybe buy you um, maybe four times a, um, a month uh, of groceries. Last time I went, it was $56. And uh, there was like uh, six items I got. Yeah. So, yeah. So imagine four times. That's like, yeah, yeah, that wouldn't do too much. So, I mean, it would help. It would help, but it's not going to do very much. It's going to lift people out of poverty. Mm-hmm. So, poverty is expensive. It's it expensive. is. It is. It's shelter system the food banks it costs more it does yeah and actually supporting um individuals and families mm-hmm. yeah so that that amount that's coming out it needs to be substantial enough to uh to get people through uh all the cost of living uh, a living wage a living income uh, and that's what it is that's what it needs to be um so the next segment when I, i'll have you come back on sherry and we'll We'll dive more into about um, about uh, a living income. Uh, we'll we'll talk on on that part too. That'd and we do have we do have again we have uh, Jeff Leggett coming on tomorrow, talking about the debrief with uh, Sheila Malcolmson. So that'll be fun. It'll be interesting. Yes, yes. And uh, so everyone uh, tuning in today, uh, stay tuned. Um, I, but I, first of all, I, I want to thank Sherry for coming on today. And I uh, will mention that uh, tomorrow we have Jeff Leggett joining us on our next podcast. And he'll be uh, yeah, diving in about the recent meeting uh, that we had with the 
Minister, the Honorable Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction in British Columbia. And uh, he'll be talking about the, uh, well, exactly what we've been talking today on the podcast uh, about the uh, C-22. Um, I'm going to press uh, uh, Jeff a little bit about um, what the child disability benefit, uh, Sherry, what we've been talking about too, um, if I have time to do that. And if not, we'll we'll keep on putting pressure uh, about making change going forward um, because change change can definitely make a difference in uh, people's lives for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, tomorrow, stay tuned, everyone. Just uh, look at... Um, Look at the podcast here and like subscribe, uh, you know, and click on the, and all the like us, like us, like, please. Yeah, <laughs> stay tuned for uh, our upcoming podcast, everyone. Thanks, thanks for I, tuning in today. I just, I just wanted to sing on on the oh, outro. Inch sure. by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. <laughs> gonna make something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. There we you are. Gotta move it inch by inch, right? Yeah. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Thank yeah. you. We can we can change things. Yeah, we are the world, right? Was that that song? <laughs> we are the world. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I always loved that one. That was. I wish, <laughs> I wish I could get the tune on that one, and uh, yeah, that would. Have but to then, look then we did. Then we get a copyright strike. We're not allowed to do that. No, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, no go zone. Yeah. But thanks everyone for tuning in today. Yeah, thank, thank you, everyone. You.